APU. American Public University is proud to present The Everyday Scholar. Hi, everyone. My name is Nicole Drumhiller, and I'm the Dean for the School of Security and Global Studies. With me today are Drs. Harry Cooper and Elliot Lynn, and they are the directors of our NSA Cyber Center for Defense. In addition to them, we have Dr. Andre Salinopas, and he is the chair of the Cybersecurity Department. Today, we're going to be discussing the interdisciplinary nature of cybersecurity and global security. But more specifically, we'll be talking about the risks associated with the cyber environment and how to avoid some of the most common scams that are out there. Thank you all for being on the show with me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Nicole. And thank you for yet another podcast on cybersecurity. I think this is really phenomenal, and I think it's a great opportunity to discuss how we got here and, and more importantly, the cyber issues that we're facing today. Yes, and Andre, you're absolutely correct with that. The university has a rich history and was one of the pioneers of its time, currently accredited by the Higher Learning Commission, and the School of Security and Global Studies was actually the flagship school for the university. It was originally founded in 1991 by retired Marine Corps Major James P. Etter at American Military University. In 1993, it launched its first master's program in military studies and hosted its first graduation in 1995. Then in 1996, it began its first set of bachelor's programs, which focused on military history, military management, and intelligence operations. Then, interestingly, in 2002, American Public University was founded to captivate a wider audience. Later on in January 2017, we were very proud as we were able to launch our first set of doctoral programs, including the Doctorate of Strategic Intelligence and the Doctorate in Global Security. And while our school has about nine departments in it currently, the Cybersecurity Department is our latest addition, having formally been organized originally under the STEM school. And so as a result of that, we also get the opportunity to work closely with the NSA-designated Cyber Defense Center. So this is very exciting for us. So Harry, as a director, can you talk a little bit about what that means? What exactly is the NSA designation and the Cyber Defense Center at the university? Thank you, Nicole. On top of our standard academic credentials and accreditations, we partake in what is called the National Security Agency Center of Academic Excellence. In particular, there are three groups within that center, and we chose to do cyber defense. What that program does is set a standard for what a solid government-approved curriculum would look like. Just making sure we're covering all the areas, And that is in combination, NSA does that in combination with NICE, which is what guides the federal guidelines of training and education in cybersecurity. So because we make use of both the NICE framework and the NSACA framework, we're able to provide a significantly higher quality of lessons. Thanks for that overview. And and Elliot, as a co-director, can you tell me what the NSA Center of Academic Excellence designation means to our faculty members? Certainly means uh, it means a lot of things, uh, Nicole. But as a faculty and at the university, I can certainly testify that we strive to provide absolutely amazing experience to our students. And being a, a faculty that is a part of the 
NSACE designation is that much better. We strive to provide opportunities like access to CompTIA certifications, micro-credentials, that also give an advantage to students as they leave the university. There are a great deal of programs that we have in place to enhance students' abilities to get their certifications as they pursue their degree. Yeah, so while we're doing some great stuff within the university, one of the things I wonder, and you guys are the experts on this, is are we at greater risk of being targets because we're an online institution? Or is the playing field somewhat level because you have other institutions, the brick and mortars out there? Just curious, like what's our level of risk when it comes to some of these things? I mean, with all the different advancements going on in technology right now, it kind of feels like the Wild West. Yeah, there are numerous risks out there for the online environment. It really doesn't matter if we're talking a school or something else. That risk is out there because we have things like social media. We even have the old school telephone-based calls as well. Those still remain to this day and are still taking advantage of everybody of all ages. I'm going to jump in, Harry, as a Another risk online community faces is, is from the information that we give, right? There are so many ways that your information is being offered up and not just because the advertisements are there, but we give it freely. So every free email service that you sign up for, every free social media platform that you sign up for, you're providing a great deal of your own information out there to make those cyber bad actors that much better. And the threat's only been rising in the recent years. Perfect examples are phishing schemes are at an all-time high because they're getting that much better, right? So they are taking the information that is being provided by the individual, even things that the most smallest details that some of us provide in basic conversation is being grabbed and used in sophisticated phishing attacks. They can give you everything from your boss to maybe the last company gathering that was had and so many more things out there. But phishing schemes are becoming that much more personalized, that much more effective, and the cyber awareness programs that they have in place just can't keep up. That's a great discussion. Um, but, but I will say also, you know, from the users of the internet, you know, like we, we all know about all of these different, you know, threats are out there, but the internet community continues to grow. Whatever the risks are out there, you know, clearly the benefits of the internet outweigh them. You know, I was thinking about this as we were talking about this. The risks are not just for the online universities or any online entity out there. Really, I mean, the risks are even for the, your conventional brick and mortar type of, you know, universities, academia, anything else. The .edu domain names are like the favorite things that uh, a lot of the hacktivists and a lot of the malicious actors used to do the pivot attacks. As we look at the world, our world in data, there's like a lot of like really good research projects and a lot of this data is published online and, and I encourage everybody to kind of go out and look at it. But you know, in the last 26 years or so, you know, in about 25, maybe a quarter of a century, we went from 2.6, maybe like 2 million users in 1990 to 3.41 billion. I mean, that's enormous growth. It's a year after year, you know, spectacular growth of internet users. And so inevitably, you know, you're going to have the malicious actors are seeing the, the kind of the good growth that we're seeing on the, on the line environment. And they're also going to be trying to leverage it to their benefit as well. So, but regardless, I mean, the benefits of the internet clearly outweigh any type of risk that you may have out there. Well, you know, and it's interesting. I know that 
not all internet threats and scams are created equal. So I, I think it'd be fun to kind of get into some of the things that do exist out there, not just for students, but also faculty. And, and maybe even the discussion will be of value to broader members that interact in a digital community. So what are you guys observing out there that poses a threat to individuals, whether they be taking or participating in courses in online environments? Any student out there, I'm sure it's not just all about school. You also have to make sure that you're considering that going and using an online dating service, online dating profiles, over 53% of Americans fabricate parts of their profiles. We have one out of every 10 dating profiles is a known scam. So it's not just schooling, it's also the ways they can get after you via these various types of websites. Phishing has grown since 2019, 65%. And 90% of every data breach out there is because of some form of phishing. So we really have to understand that we have to be more socially conscious and maybe even a little fearful. Well, Harry, what about, you know, some degree of self-awareness, right? One of the things that you mentioned comes to mind. I'm really a fan of that show Catfish. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it where somebody is trying to date somebody else or whatever, and the person is not who they say they are, right? Just like you're talking about in these things. So what type of self-awareness can like help some of these individuals. And Elliot, I don't know if you're able to speak to that or, you know, provide even other examples of threats where these things are just prevalent. And I'm going to jump in here, but I think, I think you're, you're um, really are, are hitting on like this really important point that, that sometimes we're, we're not aware of the things that, you know, that they're just going on around us. And for the most part, you know, people are not, they're not thinking like malicious actors. They're not thinking like the hackers or they're not thinking like the red teamer, if you will. So sometimes we're naive in the world of the cybersecurity. And like one, one example that sort of comes uh, to mind, you know, there was a professor at, I want to say he was at uh, somewhere in San Francisco, maybe Berkeley or Stanford. But what he did, he essentially put this Wi-Fi on his, on his, I think he started with a bike. Eventually he transitioned to the car and he would be like free Wi-Fi San Francisco, you know, hook up for free or all this stuff. You know, people just hooking up and like checking their bank accounts. That's fantastic. Their, <laughs> I mean, you know? not fantastic. So Don't he, moral of the story, kids, do not do yeah. this. But seriously. Not, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, so he wasn't doing it for malicious purposes, but he was trying to make the point. It's like, well, people are just unaware. You know, you put free Wi-Fi San Francisco, please hook up at your convenience. And then people are like, oh, yeah, you know, let's do it. You know? Not only that, nobody ever encrypts their traffic. They're connected to this thing and they're sending all sorts of credential. I mean, you name it. I mean, they're just sending all sorts of information out there. So just being cognizant of the thing, like, is it really free Wi-Fi San Francisco or is it just a malicious actor? Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Just because it's free doesn't mean it doesn't come with the cost. Well, exactly. And there's a very famous phrase out there. If you don't pay for the product, you are the product. We are professionals, right? But think about the student or the, the child that has a limited data plan. So free Wi-Fi is just that. It's free Wi-Fi, right? So the same with the student that is struggling to go through and get through class and then they end up at a coffee shop or go somewhere where the Wi-Fi is free. How many people read the disclaimers? How many people really take a look and say, hey, you know, nothing I have on this laptop really matters, so I don't care. It's okay. 
and someone wants to connect and empty out my empty bank account, but maybe it's not your empty bank account. Maybe it's your parents' bank account or a loved one account, or maybe that's the beginning of a sophisticated phishing scam or any other kind of scam to really draw something out of someone else. So we always have to keep in mind that as professionals, we know what to look for. We know how to grab these things. We know where to pull some of these things out that are obvious traps. But we also have to keep in mind, free Wi-Fi is a way of life for so many people. Mobile phones and the plans that go along with them are expensive. And that precious data that you may have a plan that gives you about 25 gigs can get eaten up in a matter of three or four days if you're really heavily intensive on watching videos or doing these other things. And so free Wi-Fi is a way of life. So the awareness that comes along with it, what do we do? How much more can we share that doesn't turn into legal jargon? If you ask a student before you agree to all of the things with your Gmail account or your Facebook account or your Instagram account, what was in that agreement that you signed up for? They can't tell you anything that goes along with it. You can ask all my friends that same question, Elliot. They're not going to be able to answer it either. <laughs> because most of them don't care because it is free and they don't feel like I'm going to get taken advantage of or be a part of this scam because I can spot these things a mile away until they can't. Right. <laughs> and then uh, I've even heard people go as far as saying, well, it's all insured anyway. Maybe it's a little inconvenience with the bank, but I'll get my money back. So yeah, many... no, you're absolutely right. There's a lot to it, right? Because it's, you're not just talking about like vulnerable populations, but ambivalent populations, the groups that lack self-awareness, you know, but it's the vulnerable ones that I really, really worry about the most. And there's so many things that, and there is the example of a, you know, what do you do to an unsecured device? Can you plug the rubber ducky device? Right. And basically when you do that, plant malware on another person's machine. But that seems sophisticated, but it's even so much easier for someone to key along and just go off some of these external cues or say, hey, try this thing. It is awesome. How many people would just go along and try it? It doesn't cost them anything but their time. But all they need to do is hear two people overhearing a conversation about, oh, my goodness, this just happened. And this is fantastic. And you'd be surprised at how many people say, what's well, fantastic. And those are the things that whether you're doing at a local coffee shop or if you're at a place of business or even at a lounge or a common space at a school, uh, you are that much more vulnerable than just about anybody else out there that has a, a mobile device or a device that connects to the internet. Thanks a lot for that, Elliot. And I, I want to be cognizant that what we do need to take a break, but you did mention a term, the rubber ducky, and I want to make sure that our listeners kind of get some additional detail on what that is. But let's pick up with that and then we'll move into some deeper discussion on the frequency of these threats. So thank you all for listening and we're just going to take a short break and we'll pick back up in a moment. At American Public University, we believe that everyone should have access to a great education. It's not a privilege reserved for the few. And we believe higher education must come with lower tuition. Because when more doors open, more lives change. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Online classes start every month. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. All right. So thank you, everyone, for sticking with us during that break. My name is Nicole Drumhiller, and with me are 
Elliot Lynn, Harry Cooper, and Andres Lenopas, and we're talking about cyber risks. Before we left for the break, Elliot was mentioning this term called a rubber ducky. Can you let me know what that is or let our listeners know what that is, since most people will likely associate that with the floating plastic duck that goes in the bathtub? Sure. The attacker simply plugs this this rubber ducky into a device and malware can be planted on the student's machine while they're doing homework in a local coffee shop or anyone that leaves their equipment unattended. It's so surprising how often or how easy it is to say, I'm just going to walk away to this counter and freshen up my drink or grab another coffee. It's in eye shot. Nobody's going to take it and run off, but you're not looking for that person to plant a device such as a rubber ducky and grab that information. And to push you a little bit further on that, Elliot, can you describe visually what the rubber ducky looks like since you just said they plug in a rubber ducky, which now gives me a whole nother level of comedic value at coffee shop? They vary, right? So you can have one that looks as simple as a small as a USB plug. If you have a remote mouse, they go as that small and they come in a variety of different ways. The idea is to minimize the detection of it. So there's no one single way that that one may look, but it's supposed to be small, non-intrusive, and something that somebody can easily pull back once they're done. And can I bring two examples of the rubber duck? Because I think it's such a phenomenal, um, there's just so many phenomenal stories behind it. And sometimes people think they're not going to be, you know, the victims of a rubber ducky type of attack. But um, you, you, had, you had this thing called the, the, the Silk Road, right? And the Silk Road was essentially this dark web Walmart, if you will. People could buy stuff and you could buy anything on there using a cryptocurrency. Well, wh- when the FBI actually caught the guy, Ross Ulbricht is the gentleman's name who actually started this, this system, the, the guy wanted to delete everything he has. So the FBI actually put a rubber duck into his system so, so it was locked out so he couldn't actually delete all of the data from a server. So, so even the FBI used the rubber duck to stop this guy from deleting his own data so then they could prosecute him. The other operation that comes to mind is actually when a foreign intelligence entity used a rubber ducky on the U.S. government. The, the operation was called Buckshot Yankee. To this day, we, we don't really don't have a clue who it was, but we can assume you know, it was a nation state. But um, essentially, the idea was that, that this, uh, this country that was producing all of these uh, flash drives and they would just produce millions and millions and millions of them, just saturate the entire global market of these uh, flash drives. Well, on the flash drive itself, they actually had some sort of a malware. It was embedded malware in a hardware. And the idea was that eventually somebody from the U.S. government or the soldier or somebody else will actually buy one of those and put it into a, ideally a classified system. Sure enough, it happened. And uh, as a matter of fact, this is why we don't plug things anymore, especially if it's like made in China. You know, so so because sometimes, you know, these are rubber duckies that, that you know, somebody else could do just... And randomly be like, hey, you know, um, it's a free flash drive. But think about how often we do that. Hey, free flash drives, you know, like take this, <laughs> plug it into, give one to your neighbor, you know. No, you're absolutely right, Andre. And you know, what's funny to me is that one thing that people don't really think about is the same companies that are locking employees out of putting flash drives into their work machines are the same companies that are handing out flash drives. So there's something counterintuitive here, right? I mean, I feel like everybody needs to be on the same page. We got to talk to the marketing folks. We got to talk to everybody to say like, all right, if we're going to ban them, let's let's not send mixed messages here. I also just want to inject in here. It's not just people that don't know better. One of the best examples of something along the line of the rubber ducky was a group of university researchers got a list of everybody who attended a information security conference. And they sent out, so this is many years ago, 
but they at that time the optical mice our mice still had roller balls inside of them. The optical mice were brand new with these lasers and all that cool stuff. So what they did was they sent out a thank you gift from the conference to all of these information security people. And the vast majority of these InfoSec people plugged in the mouse because it was free and it came from somebody they knew. So these are people that should know better and did it anyways. It's really interesting. So we, okay, so let's kind of reframe here. So we know that these threats are out there. This is not just like a once in a blue moon, hey, I'm bored, I'm going to go see what kind of access to information I can get. What's the prevalence of this? How interesting is your average student or faculty member or individual in general to somebody that's trying to access their information nefariously. So so the one thing that I'll say is like, this happens more frequently than we'd like to admit, you know, whether it's going to happen to a student or not, like how interesting these people are, um, you know, who are going to be compromised, you know, is also like like a question, uh, I guess, to, to ask. But, but think about how many scam calls we get every day. They're random. I mean, sometimes it's somebody who's post-retirement who's getting these calls. Sometimes it's just your typical student who's getting these calls. But there's a reason we're getting all these scam calls. It's because clearly it's working somewhere to someone, even, even if the success rate of that scammer is only like 1%. But if you call enough people, then then you can still make uh, money out of it. So, so anyway, so regardless, I mean, the, the financial gain clearly outweighs. It's motivating enough to actually motivate a lot of people to continue to do this, even though the student's not gonna possess any information that's gonna be necessarily like critical to the hacker. But think about this, like the student still has bank accounts, so the student has uh, all sorts of uh, personal information. You know, even if the student cannot afford a mortgage at the moment, but one day they will. So even if the information is compromised, it could still be, um, you know, leveraged later. On the dark web, I believe the credit cards, you know, the fresher the number of the credit cards are, the, the higher the price and it kind of goes down from there. But you can still, I mean, how often do people change credit cards? You know, once every couple of years, maybe, you know, so you can still leverage a lot of that information. And sometimes, you know, the pen testers or these um, these um, uh, hackers, they're not necessarily doing things to be malicious. I remember reading about this one pen tester specifically, you know, he just had really obnoxious neighbors who would just turn up volume. They're just party all the time or whatever. And so he got really, you know, he, he would tell them, <laughs> ask them nicely and they never changed their behavior. So eventually he compromised their system. So like if they ever got loud with music, he would just turn it down. Uh, you know, he was just having a good time with it. You know, he would change channels on their TVs and stuff like that. He said, you know, I don't think they ever caught on to it. They were just getting really frustrated with things, but he used it to his own benefit, not to be malicious necessarily, but to like help himself out. So sometimes we become victims of these things, not because people want to be malicious to us, but sometimes, you know, oh sometimes my. You know. I just recently watched this movie and it just kind of resonates with me that with all of these digitally connected homes, you could easily haunt someone from across the street and just kind of mess with their systems. Like you said, change the channel, turn the radios on, whatever the refrigerator's doing, if it's connected to the internet, you could get the refrigerator to probably freak out. So some of this stuff is just so wild that it can be done. There was certainly a hacker that was able to utilize somebody's fish tank controls. And that was the way that they were able to gain entry eventually because those that password uh, was the same password for the thermostat and several other elements. And before you know it, that was their main way in, but they ended up compromising almost everything. Oh man, I hope those fish survived the attack and they didn't turn it to boiling water <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah, hopefully. And in the past, we were talking about smart fridges there were actually quite a bit of spam 
coming out from smart fridges. I just want to address something Andre said, though, which is with regards to students are just as susceptible as elderly individuals. Actually, I I double-checked because I thought I saw this earlier this year. Last year, people between the age of 20 and 29 reported, 41% of them reported losing money, whereas the individuals 70 to 79 lost only 18% uh, is what they reported. So it's actually becoming smarter on the scams so that they're getting people who are younger and younger to just go ahead and give up that information. So it's actually reverse of what most of us would expect. Most of us don't expect granny or grandpa to be able to identify the bad guys. That you get wiser, I guess, with with the years, you get wiser with your money. The things that we talk about on, on these shows always blow my mind. So we've established there's a lot of nefarious scammers out there who are always looking for ways to trick users into exposing their data. And for some people, they might accidentally stumble upon something. I know, Andre, in the past, we spoke about people discovering gaps in gaming systems, just trying to be helpful since these things also arise. But then there are these nefarious people that are out there. What do you guys see as some of the more famous scams of the past? Or what trends might you be seeing? For me personally, I always like to know what should I be looking out for? Comedic relief also is beneficial too. What are some of the sillier things that you've seen happen and ways that people have kind of addressed them? I'll certainly jump in jump in here. One of the things that I think uh, we do a great deal of and put ourselves at risk is for 10%, 15%, 25%, whatever the case, you can get something. And if you're looking to buy something, and somebody happens to be able to grab a piece of that data or you end up on a particular list, they can send you something for 20% off. And how much information do you give for that 20% off? It's your personal number. You can give your name, in some cases, your address. And you'll have that 20% that twenty off, which is common that you probably could have gotten from everywhere else. But now somebody has all your data. Oh, yeah. Companies do that all the time, right? Big sale, 20% off. Give me this information. I'll give you a card and I'll save you some money today. That's right. And to follow on, for example, a popular clothing brand never has sales, as well as some food institutions. Hey, come on in and get 20 pieces of this for $4.99. It's a limited time coupon. And if you pay attention to how quickly that spread amongst friends, until somebody finally says, oh, I finally went down here and there's nothing real about it. But the part that they leave out is for me to act, supposedly activate this coupon, I had to fill out all this stuff and it was a scam. There are so many things that are hunger for discounts and the increased online shopping that we've done since COVID. We are a lot more at risk finding a bargain than we are doing anything else. Reputable vendors have reputable ways of making sure that they market to their customers. It's when we jump outside of that to get a little bit of common sense of why would this be 30 bucks as opposed to 300 everywhere else is where we, I see us getting caught all the time. And let's be truthful here. I think every single one of us on this podcast today all signed up for a credit card to get the free t-shirt when we were in college. I did it and I'm sure every one of you did it. 
What else, guys? What are what are some other notable notable scams that come to mind? But in 2021 alone, according to Statista, you know, the online fraud increased by 285%. So like just imagine having your business triple in size in one year. I mean, that's absolutely phenomenal. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, small business owners out there who would love that type of a growth. But, you know, but that, that is a reality for a lot of nefarious actors. You know, they're clearly there's a market that they're, they're filling and, um, you, you know, the demand is there. But a lot of these scammers are actually becoming a lot more technical, a lot more conniving, if you will, a lot of the technology that they're using. And so like one of the great examples is, uh, you know, you have the, the, the team viewer, right? Now, now they're trying to connect through like a remote, uh, you know, RDP, like a remote desktop, you know, some sort of a protocol to your system. And so team viewer was actually one of the more popular ones out there. And the interesting thing is people actually let scammer somebody on the opposite side of the internet, you know, just connect to their, their system. But now these, a lot of these malicious actors will actually change the HTML code. So then on your screen, it looks like, if you're in your bank account or whatever you may be, you know, you actually have more money or less money or whatever may be the case, like the data will actually change. If you drop the cache and then actually reload your page, everything will go back to normal. But at least while that malicious actor is connected to you, they're able to change the HTML code so that at least the data being output to you, it looks different. So now they'll say like, oh, wow, you have too much money. We're from Bank of America or whatever bank, you know, and we uh, we send you too much money or too little money or whatever. You have to like wire some money back or whatever. And so like now they're getting a little bit more technical like that. But then on the flip side, you know, uh, now you have these blue teamers who sort of caught on to what the scammers are doing. Now they're standing up these virtual machines, but they'll they'll play jokes on these scammers. So like they'll they'll scatter their keyboard. So like uh, like when you press W, it'll actually give you a K. And if you press P, it'll give you like an X or something. So, so when the malicious actor tries to change the HTML code, when they type 10,000, they'll actually type uh, bed data or something. You know what I mean? Because the, it, and they'll have to play with this like new scattered keyboard and then they'll just struggle for hours. And it's really entertaining as well. You know, we, we kind of have to take into account that scammers are getting uh, smarter, but also the blue teams. And that's why it's so important for cybersecurity professionals to get more proficient on it and also uh, cognizant of everything that's going on out there. Yeah, I, I saw that there's a really famous guy that does that on YouTube. And the software that the company makes use of to get into his machine, he actually uses it to get back into the attacker's machine. And he ends up wiping out the drive, deleting all the data, the whole nine yards. So he kind of gets it back on the scammer. So do understand that there are... Let's just say they say, you got to give me a hundred bucks. It's not a ton of money per se, but all of that money adds up. There was a uh, an apartment that was found by an anti-corruption unit that was aimed at internet scams. And there was nobody living in the apartment. It was just used to store the cash. $43 million on pallets. In this apartment, and that was all that was in the apartment was just pallets and pallets of cash. And to add to that, one of the things that one of the most popular commercials during the Super Bowl was a barcode bouncing around on the screen. Millions and millions of people pulled out their phones and attempted to scan this barcode in a matter of 30 seconds plus. And millions did do it. And directly as a result, there was a article that was out within the next three weeks that these barcodes or various barcodes were popping up everywhere. People were spending a good deal of money 
just to get barcode posters made with malicious attempt. Basically just collecting data from those users that scan that barcode and for some that go a bit further in an attempt to get something again for free or anything else were really getting scammed, but it was willingly, not willingly getting scammed, but basically putting their information out there by a barcode. We've, we've become so familiar with these things, touchless this and touchless that, no menu, scan for your menu. If you want to order something, scan here, scan there. And sometimes just general curiosity in a city or a downtown somewhere, and you see a barcode attached to a very nice poster or flyer, people are going to scan it. And now they're finding that this is a new tactic that they're using and dressing it up, especially for and geared towards the younger, I guess, uh, mobile users or device users. Some uh, have marketing campaigns for teens and some young adults. But in almost all of the cases that they found, it was nothing to do more than to collect the data and get as much information as they can gather. And it's still going out, on out there today. And there really hasn't been much discussion over it or talk about it because it's now an industry standard. It's almost like somebody out handing out flyers and say, hey, come on in here to this restaurant and try this food. It's just a common practice that we've grown post-COVID to adopt. And it's one that has become incredibly lucrative for bad actors as of now. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and that's really interesting. This is the first time I'm hearing about this one, Elliot. But it was so interesting. I mean, how many of us go to like a football game or something, and they were like, "Hey, you know, scan this for parking, or scan this for I don't know, free whatever you know that is offered." And people often do, unless you're actually cognizant of this, you know. Then uh, unfortunately, kind of fall for this. Uh, I'll even admit, one time, you know, I got this like email. I think it was like from google but i didn't actually check the domain name it was like your your password is expired or whatever and i was like oh okay i gotta reset it. and i clicked on it but then i looked and it was like your password is expired it was like google help at gmail.com which like so clearly it was not you know from coming in from from google and then i had to go back and basically reset my password again just to um because what, what i just did inadvertently is i i told them what my new password is you know and then it happens like sometimes we're just careless like sometimes we don't pay attention you know the, the think about the phishing scams or not phishing scam but like the phishing uh, uh testing that, that an organization will do to its own populace to its own employee you know um the workforce and a certain percentage inadvertently always clicks kind of happens unfortunately you know because the human factor is always there yeah i think we could definitely do a podcast all on that and whether or not that there's agreement because i think that there, that's pretty a, a controversial topic on whether or not that's an effective means of testing but like i said that's a conversation for another day elliot were you were you going to say something <laughs> well i <laughs> i think they're certainly getting better but we're getting worse i think that cyber professionals know what to look for but organizations themselves if you think about a concert event the temporary help that's used to get people through parking, right? How seriously are they really vetted? Almost never. Or the people that are hired just for these events and they take your tickets and they scan your tickets or are supposed to scan your tickets. But what if they're scanning something else? Or if you think you're just showing them your ticket, but it, they, right then they have that interaction with your phone. It has become commonplace, even in some places for someone to say, oh, this is not scanning. Let me see your phone for a second. And how many times have you either seen or guilty of handing the person your phone and so you can hear that scan or that beep? 
and maybe it beeps twice and maybe it does the first time what it's supposed to do but maybe the second time it grabs your information there are so many things that we are getting worse at because it's a convenience and right along with that the human element is certainly there but organizations especially when they're hiring temporary help for temporary events concerts festivals things like that that require some kind of scanning for entry someone that may be approached to say i'm going to give you five hundred dollars and i'm going to give you another ten dollars for every other one that you can get to scan this code as they enter they can do it very easily and most of us wouldn't even pay attention and Elliot, you raise a great point because you say that we're getting worse. So then how do we protect ourselves? What are some things that we can be doing to really be on better guard moving forward? Awareness is an everyday thing. It's just like a fad diet. For some people that go on fad diets, they may last a week, maybe two weeks. And then you know what? If they really want a piece of bread, they're going to have that bread. Or if their weakness is sweets, eventually they're going to do it because it's not sustainable. But a lifestyle change is certainly sustainable. A lifestyle change means that your phone isn't in everybody's view. If somebody says, hey, let me see your phone, you immediately know or have a red flag that, no, I'm not going to give you my phone. Never mind the germs, but I really have no idea of what's on the other side of what you're doing. It becomes a mindset that everything that you have that ties to your information should be kept private. It's almost like we have to teach ourselves again almost from infancy on bad habits and what to do and what not to do. And it's that much more difficult to do for our young adults or even our children to say, no, it's not okay for, to let someone see your phone or cover this or cover that and don't share this and don't necessarily share that. I know you think they're your friends and all, but, and so when it becomes a part of an adaptation of your lifestyle, then it's something that you're mindful of through and through. Everybody knows, don't go with strangers. You can almost ask anybody that. But is it okay to let a stranger scan your phone if it's not scanning right at the self-checkout? Absolutely. And so these are the things that I think awareness, mindfulness, not only taught in school, but all the way through and through. And we can't leave it up to corporations to do it because productivity and speed of doing so yields profits. And so you can't expect an organization to keep you safe, even though cybersecurity is a shared responsibility, but maximization of shareholders' wealth is the first rule of business. And so everything that we are gearing up for in the next 10 years is about convenience, touchless, and access to information. So as we do that, I think the main thing that we will need to do is to revise what we teach that are dangers, not just stealing your data, but also other topics such as human trafficking or ending up in situations where you have absolutely no idea how you got there. And it could be as simple as some of the bad practices that we've grown and adapt to grow. And, and I would just love to interject into here that it's not just us. We are not the average person out there. It's not just us that fall for these scams. About uh, seven years ago, there was an Austrian aerospace company that lost over $47 million to a spearfishing campaign. Also, even when you try and do the right things, you know, like uh, 
you might go up to an ATM and you know put your card in, or you might be at a gas station and slide your card. I don't know about anybody else in this call, but I always grab a hold of where you're supposed to slide your card. I always grab a hold of it and try and pull on it because it's something just as simple as sliding a card into the gas pump. You can actually have somebody scanning your credit card as it goes in. So boom, they got your credit card right there. And credit cards, they sell for not a ton of money online. I think most times it's like 30 bucks or something like that. But the damage that it does is a whole lot more expensive. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and Harry, actually, as a matter of fact, I remember coming through uh, the articles um, maybe about a year ago or two years ago. The scanners started coming around to the United States, you, you know, and, and so I kind of do the same thing. I go to, the, especially the gas stations, I'll kind of pull on the thing. But uh, I'm also reading this book. Uh, it's called Irresistible by Adam Elder. And uh, it's a phenomenal book. But he, he mainly talks about the technology being developed in such a way that it becomes addictive. And he talks about these large corporations. But, but really within the book, he also talks about these other things uh, that are actually happening, you know. And uh, what is actually happening and sort of like Elliot, what you were saying, like we're hooked on technology. And it's for a purpose, actually. As a matter of fact, these technology companies are developing the technology to make us hooked on it. But what ends up happening is essentially it's exposing us to to a lot of different things that are uh, really deleterious to us. And, and how do you actually protect yourself from that? So I think, you know, for me personally, sort of what I'm taking from the book and in general, you know, it was like sort of setting boundaries just because somebody is asking you for a phone because they got an emergency maybe they do but like okay let's go to the local store and let's let's ask them for a landline you know what i mean like there's ways that you can actually go around these things where you can still be philanthropic and altruistic and humane but without exposing yourself to various malicious you know schemes that might be going on out there and i think drawing these boundaries becomes extremely important especially as we become so unbelievably interconnected like leaving your laptop at a coffee shop you know, maybe 90% of the time nothing's going to happen, but there's a 10% chance that somebody is in a coffee shop sort of looking for opportunities like that. They can put a rubber ducky or maybe collect your information through, you know, whatever wireless connection or whatever may be the case. Just sort of setting these boundaries, being cognizant that unfortunately there are bad actors out there, whether we like it or not, and then protecting yourself that way. Make sure that we understand that it's not just bad actors. If we're talking about our data, our personal data, you know, all that fun stuff. We have to understand every time we sign up for something, I, I said it much earlier, if you are not paying for the product, you are the product. Your information is being got by all these companies. They're selling that information along. There's a nice little industry hanging out in the background called uh, data brokers. It is one of the fastest growing type of companies out there. So not only don't protect your money and protect your credit card and all of that, but also protect your data. Make sure that you are being considering, hey, if I share this piece of information online, what do I expose about myself? Because if you expose enough, one, somebody's going to take it and try to sell it. And two, someone might try to take advantage of it. Thank you guys so much for that. You've really provided a lot of food for thought, and there's all kinds of different topics that we can really dive into in greater detail at a later date. Uh, I do want to be respectful of everybody's time. So thank you guys all, Elliot, Harry, and Andre, for your time today. This was such a great chat, and I look forward to doing more of these with you in the future. 
For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.